Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and I'm glad that you have joined me today because I've got guy talk that's going to happen in just a minute. I got a great power panel today. I got each of them an energy drink for today, but I, I personally drink them myself on the way over, so they'll get nothing in like it. But uh, <laughs> I think there's plenty of energy in the studio just today without the energy drinks. I'm, Although, I agree. Yeah, that's Tom Parrish, who just spoke out of turn. Um, <laughs> is, is diet do a, a, a is diet do a power drink? Uh, it can be, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah it's got I've, about yeah, nineteen teaspoons of sugar. Yeah, <laughs> it's probably more powerful than the energy drink I bought for you. Yeah. Where, where is it again? I don't. No, see it's it. I, I drank it. I oh, drank it. yeah, I got it for you. But <laughs> Thank I, you. I didn't bring it. No. And that's Jeff Ferdorn and then Dr. Peter Kapsner. That makes up the power panel. So let me know what your questions are. I've already got a couple questions that have come in, so we got plenty to start with. But send your questions over eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. So here's an interesting question that just came in, and it's this: I drive with the flow of traffic going too fast. And honestly, most days I drive faster than the posted speed. Is this a willful sin? Please comment. Well, I always drive the speed limit, so. <laughs> no. There's the lyo meter just kicked in. <laughs> <laughs> that went over the 10 mark on the lyo <laughs> You know, God says that we are supposed to submit to the authority that he has placed over us. And he actually goes on to say, and when we rebel against that authority, we're actually rebelling against what God has established and rebelling against God. So I think Christians should should be model citizens. I think Christians should obey the laws of the land until that law says to do something that is in direct conflict with God's instructions. Mm-hmm. So when the disciples were arrested and told not to speak in the name of Jesus anymore, they said, shall we obey God or men, we cannot help about what we have seen and heard. And they went on and continued to preach this name of Jesus. But when it comes to pretty much everything else, like paying taxes, Jesus was very specific on that, renda under Caesars, and I would argue the speed limit, we should all try to submit to the authority that God has established. I agree. I think that's a pretty good summation of what the Scripture is trying to say. The key here is this. We don't submit to the government ignorantly. We use the Word of God to understand what that submission really means. And when it is in opposition to the Lord, it doesn't mean you go out and break the law, but it means you speak up. It means that you uh, find ways to organize people to begin to go to council meetings and city hall and that and say, we've got a problem here. That's our responsibility. But it's not our responsibility to think the highway should be 100 miles an hour, so we're going to drive 105. No, that's wrong. But if the highway could be faster, and when I was in South Dakota not long ago, it was 80 miles an hour. Everybody was doing 80. I loved it. It was mm. great. And there, were, there seemed to be no problems. But the law had said 80 is, is safe out there under those circumstances. That's one thing. But if I'm in a city, no. So I do want to obey the law when I can, and I always will. But I want to also stand up for the truth of Jesus. 
Well, Captain, I told you Captain, guys. what do you got? I know. I told you guys off the air. I'm a New Testament driver. I drive. This is a, this is a tough one. I mean, I think um, one one comment quickly biblically, and then we actually do have a scenario that is similar to that that we talk about in my ethics class that I'd be curious to just even get some feedback on too. But um, my best shot at some of what's going on in Romans about uh, God setting up authorities or another passages is that it's possible at least one interpretation of Romans might be that Paul was writing specifically to the Roman community who were thinking about uh, entering into public civil disobedience. And he basically said, no, now is not the time for that. Um, and so when he was talking about the authority set up, he was talking about what was going on in Rome at the time, maybe not necessarily in general, because I think, is it possible that God has set up all of the rulers of all time? It is possible, but then we get into those really troubling scenarios of Hitler being set up and, and some of that. So it's just, it's, that, that part's an interesting conversation. I can see merits on both sides of it from uh, from Scripture. But I think the scenario that I really like uh, in, in <laughs> Parish, I think I'm just going to throw it back to you as to what you would do. So if you're in the middle of Nebraska and you can see literally 400 miles in any direction in Nebraska, and it's 1.30 in the, in the morning, and you come randomly to a stoplight in the middle of a field somewhere, and you have to turn left. And that stoplight is red. It's 1.30 in the morning. Again, you can see 400 miles. There's no cars anywhere. Um, and then not only that, you have a, a maybe an infant at home, and your, your, your spouse is terribly tired from having to take care of them. And so by running the red light, you get home two minutes faster, and there's no chance of running into anybody. Is it is it the wrong thing to run the red light? So we talk about that in my ethics class. I don't know. Parrish, would you run the red light? Um. <laughs> pro, pro, well, let's be honest. Yes, I probably would after a certain point. Uh, but the yeah, that's you know that's a good. How do you get into those questions anyway? <laughs> yeah, those are good questions. Well, and, and so just add to it, right? Like if the if the light is clearly malfunctioning and it's not ever going to turn green because there's a malfunction, do you, like these are the scenarios that I find interesting to wonder about related to these these topics and. I, part of it is that you can say, hey, look, the, the laws are set up to be common sense and, yes. to, and to provide safety for people, and uh, and speed limits can be part of that. But then what do you do when, when North Dakota and Montana interpret safety as 80 miles an hour and maybe Minneapolis interprets it as 60? So they, they're just really interesting questions, I think, to wonder about. Well, they are. And, you, you know, you comply with where you're at under the government system. Uh, but it is, and I was going to use that very term, it's logic, common sense. You're out in the middle of nowhere at the middle of the night, and there's a red light, and there are no cars coming from any direction, and you've got a lot going on. Common sense says, hey, it's probably a good law when there are cars here, but when there's nobody here, it's a different story. And I think that's, then you go, and you also talk about, you know, petitioning them to fix that light. But there is a problem, <laughs> and you got to deal with that. I think one of my favorite times of breaking the speed limit is when Hallie was pregnant and we had to get to the hospital. And I just thought I, I have full – it felt like I had full license at that point to go the speed needed to get to the hospital on that. But it, it is interesting. I, I, they're just – it's one of those things where I think on the surface we kind of just say – we don't necessarily get into the actual scenarios of real life sometimes to really think through what does it mean to be a person um, who's being led both by moral – codes, but also being led by the Spirit at the same time. And some of what you guys have referenced talks about that. Peter and John were quite clear in the book of Acts that say, we have to obey God uh, over men. And, and they're appealing to some sort of spiritual conscience, even in the midst of disobeying the Jewish laws of that time. So it, it is actually a pretty big conversation. The listener, I think, is spot on in wondering about you know whether we should or not. And you can see merits to both sides of it. Another listener said, you are now endorsing situational ethics. 
which is mm, fine. They're right, right. Which is fine as long as you apply it everywhere and at all times. Yeah, I think if we bounce kind of this up to the principal level, uh, ignore the <laughs> ignore the street light in the cornfield for a second. Okay, right? and, and generally speaking, so in I think, other words, in other words, ignore Peter. No, 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 no. That generally speaking, we should be law abiding citizens. That is what that's how we should approach our government. And there are cases like you were talking about that we should we can petition our government, Nathan came to David and said, you are that man, right? What yeah. you're doing is wrong. So it's not wrong to point out the errors of those in authority over us, number one. But there's there's only a few cases in Scripture. I think of Daniel was told not to pray. And he didn't listen to the authority because he was going to pray to God. Now, there was consequences. He suffered the consequences of disobeying the authority that told him he shouldn't pray anymore. And if you run the stoplight at one thirty, you just might get picked up. It's still <laughs> illegal to go through the stoplight. Now, I'm not going to comment on whether I would go through it or not or whether I ever have or not. <laughs> well, because I have. What's that sweat on your upper God. bra right now? Right, at one thirty well, in the morning. I, I love the the comment about situational ethics too, because that's when we start my ethics class is exactly how I started. And we use a, a real life scenario that I think a lot of people wrestle with and struggle with, especially in today's day and age with, with the increased gender blurring that's going on. And, and people have friends and relatives and sometimes daughters and sons, certainly nieces and nephews that um, end up in a same gender wedding ceremony. And, and then they invite you. And what do you do? The Bible doesn't say thou shall attend the gay wedding ceremony, and the Bible doesn't say thou shall not attend. And so how do you know how to handle that? And you can maybe derive some principles or think, well, I don't want to be there because I don't want to honor or I don't want to, to, to seem like I'm blessing. But then if I'm not there, I'm burning bridges. I mean, these are real life scenarios that people are really, really struggling with. And what I've suggested to them related to situational ethics is that your response can change um, depending on the scenario, but in every situation, you are still consistent with kingdom life. And here's what I mean. I, I answer that question by saying, if I got invited 10 times to 10 gay weddings, I might go five times and I might not go five times. And all 10 times I'm consistent with the kingdom because the book of Acts teaches us that we are to be led by the spirit in terms of being able to discern which way to go in any kind of situation. And and we don't know what our presence or our absence is going to be at those gay weddings. Now, I'm not going to offer a prayer of blessing at the wedding. I'm not going to officiate the wedding. Those things cross some lines. But I don't know for sure if I should or shouldn't be there. And so when, when people um, talk about situational ethics, I, I think you can be a situational ethicist on a number of levels um, where maybe your response changes depending on the situation, but you need to be led by the Spirit to do so. I had a listener that said, at 1.30 a.m., you, you'll you still get busted. I speak from experience. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, that was my point. And it says in Romans 13, once again, that governments uh, have the power of the sword to reward those who do good and punish yeah. those who do wrong. Do. So that is For the sure. role. That is the system that God has designed to have authority over the people, uh, to have that uh, laws and authority to reward those who do good and punish those who do wrong. So that's the reason God has established it. You know, not any individual leader per se necessarily uh, ordained by God, like you were talking about, Peter, earlier. But the system of government is, to me, seems to be very much God-designed. Another comment that came in, Christians cry out against certain serious sins and then look the other way when we commit minor sins. 
see where legalism leads. And then the other comment is, same person, I am a conservative, Bible-believing evangelical. You know, the goal is we're trying our best, all of us, to honor Jesus, to know him, and to reflect him. Sometimes we get into situations where we make stupid choices. I'm just as guilty of that as anyone. There are other places where I think the Spirit leads us to do something that doesn't seem what it should be, but it has a place. I'm thinking, and I'm just, this is a hard one. I'm thinking of this young man in Indiana who had a carry and conceal weapon in the mall. And the mall said, no handguns allowed. And yet the police and everybody is saying he probably saved an awful lot of lives he by did. doing that. And so there, there are also, here's the dilemma. There are laws out there, and I want to obey all the laws. But quite frankly, there are some stupid laws out there that I'm going to fight against because they're not right. And they go against what we need to be doing or thinking through. So it is a dilemma. The bottom line is the government isn't perfect. I'm not perfect. That's why i got to keep looking to Jesus and his word. All right. We'll take a break. We'll come back with lots more guy talk. Our guys who are talking in the power panel that is talking today is Jeff Verdorn, Peter Kapsner, and Tom Parrish. So let me know what your questions are. Some good ones so far. 877-933-2484. Be right back. We want to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We're creating encouraging posts every day to help you focus on the important things as you spend time on social media. From graphics that feature Bible verses and quotes from our hosts and show guests, to articles about topics you are interested in, to videos from our hosts. Search Faith Radio on social media sites to connect with us today. some fighting bumper music. Welcome to Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. Let me know what your questions are for the panel. 877-933-2484. So Tom jumped in with a comment, which I thought is interesting relative to traffic uh, laws and all that. He said, I've done ride-alongs with local law enforcement officers. The last time I rode, I told the officer I seldom stop at intersections with deep snow. If I stop and get stuck, I'll be more of a problem than not. I told him I look all directions he admitted that was probably okay. There's mm. some common, common bottom line common sense. Yeah. There's a lot of that out there, and too often it doesn't get used properly. Yeah. And we certainly don't want people violating the laws that endanger others. But there are certain circumstances where nobody's in danger, and it's just common sense. The problem with all these exceptions is that there's people who are going to try to make more and more I and know. more and more totally. exceptions. And if you drive today, I, I think... People are driving differently today than they were just a few years ago. I see a lot more people going through red turn signals and red lights and so on yeah. in, in, a, in a way that I don't remember a few years back. Maybe it's a, because of post-COVID or something. But uh, we can't all decide which exceptions are okay and which are not. There mm. has to be a certain amount of authority right. over us to govern all of us because we're all trying to interact with each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's definitely the flip side of the conversation is that um, you need to be mindful of how your actions are impacting other people. And and so um, even though I, I may drive by by grace from time to time and, and, um, and the red light example at the same time, 
if from a self-centered standpoint, I just think that's entirely inconsistent with the kingdom too. So to be mindful of that, but Mm -hmm. I, you know, all of these different conversations are, they're interesting to me because we're people, I think all four of us um, really do believe in the authority and in the inspiration of scripture. We're, Mm -hmm. we're very humbled by it. And yet um, there's so many situations in life when I don't think we talk about this enough as believers that really escape the Bible giving us a specific discernment about what to do. And again, I talk about this in, in class all the time. I, I say, how many of you young people um, believe that the Bible is a rule and a guide that will help you in every situation in life? And of course, the the knee-jerk response is uh, to shoot the hand up, hand up in the air and say, of course. But then I say, well, if you want to get married, did the, does the Bible name the person uh, that you should get married to? And there's kind of this, hmm. And so I think it goes back to a, a really important question about what is it that um, how do we live in the Christian life to know what is good in these areas where it doesn't really say specifically, um, thou shall not speed. I mean, we, we're deriving some principles, maybe from Romans, that we should be our, our government, but then we're filled with bazillions of exceptions, like Martin Luther King Jr., and uh, and his civil disobedience was, I think we all agree, was, was a, a correct move, and you've got the disobedience against Hitler. So it just gets into a, a funny conversation about how do we discern that which is good and that which is evil when probably... 97% of the scenarios that confront us in any given day aren't actually in Scripture to tell us what to do specifically. And, and But then what do we do? Well, we always have to make what the Lord says in his word paramount for our lives. That's who we're called to obey. I was just uh, I just used Sunday in a sermon, a uh, short videotape of Nicholas Winton. And he was an Englishman who in 1939, age 29, realized what was going on in Germany and on his own went over and rescued 669 Jewish children and got them out of there. And they now say there are over 6,000 people alive because of him. Now, he was breaking the laws of Nazi Germany. But he had a higher law at that point that said, these lives are valuable. These people are still created in the image of God. We're not going to allow the government to exterminate them. And that's also why we wind up going to war at times, because the government oversteps its boundaries. So it's a balance of knowing what the Word of God says and how to stand up to the law, how to obey the law when it's a right law, but how to petition to get it changed or to stand up against it when it's wrong. Daniel stood up, and he got thrown into a lion's den. Yes, he did. Corey Ten Boom, if you know that story in World War II, she also helped Jews escape. Yes. And she stood up for what was right and followed a higher law, a higher authority in that case, when the government was asking her to do something that was clearly unbiblical. And uh, and it, but she ended up in in the proverbial lion's den as well. She ended yep. up in a concentration camp, and and mm-hmm. uh, many of her family perished in those camps. All right. The next question is uh, uh, for four hundred dollars from the category called <laughs> evil spirits. Ooh, Tom Parrish, you just buzzed in first. So you, <laughs> yeah, good the, oh, the, the question goes to you. And this was a question that arose two weeks ago regarding rebuking evil spirits, which you addressed, sure. Tom Parrish. Uh, and this listener says, I agree. And this is a verse that's confusing. What was Jesus trying to tell us here? And this verse comes from Luke chapter 11, verses 24 to 26. When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert searching for rest. But when it finds none, it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds that its former home is all swept and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself and they all enter the person and live there, and so that person is worse off than before. What is Jesus trying to tell us here? I think there's an important message here, and one of the things we need to realize is that in Jesus' day, 
there were many exorcists already out there. There were people that were casting out demons. The problem is they had nothing to replace it with. And as a result, the person was absolutely empty when the demon left. And if you don't replace that with the presence of Jesus and with his word, the demons are going to come back and bring a host of other people with them. And this is a problem all over the world. You can go to any place in the world, and there are shamans, there are all kind of people out there that can actually help deliver people initially. But after a period of time, these people become more confused, and they seem to have more going on in them than they know what to do with. Because if we don't replace it with the power of Jesus and his shed blood, the demons have a heyday. And we cannot allow that. So Jesus is saying here, and I don't know the whole context. I mean, I, I know Luke 11, but I don't know the whole t- context for Jesus. But I think that they, the disciples saw other people casting out demons. And uh, what was the difference? The difference is Jesus has to now come into the person's life and heart to make a difference forever. You, you, do you believe, Tom, that once you're born again and are sealed with the Holy Spirit, that a demon can't take residence up in a believer. I don't believe they can, but I believe they can harass people. I've seen people very harassed. And I've seen believers, here's the thing that bothers me, Jeff. I've seen believers who truly have committed their life to Jesus go through some circumstance in life and then decide they're going to go have their palm read or going to go read tarot cards. Now, what they do in that circumstance, and I'm not saying they're possessed, but they're opening a door that's, that's kind of huge to let the demons in, and the demons are delighted. And these are the people that get harassed, and I deal with Christians that are harassed all the time. But it is through, the, and they will confess, Jesus is Lord and Savior. But what they've done is they've opened the door, and then we have to work to help people shut that door and keep it shut the rest of their life. So, no, I don't believe they can be possessed, but I do believe they can be harassed. I agree. All right, here's a question. I'm looking in your direction, Jeff Ferdorn. My understanding is that when Christ died on the cross, he spent those three days in hell until he was raised from the dead. However, he told the thief that today you will be with me in paradise. Where was he? He was in paradise. Only before the cross, paradise was in comfort in Hades. So before the cross, all the dead, whether you're righteous or unrighteous, descended into a place called Hades. This is what's described in Luke 16, where you have Lazarus and the rich man. And in the story, we have two sides in Hades. One, Lazarus was in comfort with Father Abraham, and he was comforted there. The rich man went to the other side, and he was in torment in the flames. And between them was a great chasm, so no one could go from one side to another. So this is not the Catholic idea of purgatory, by the way, because there's no passing from one side to another. When Jesus died on the cross, he he went, just as he said, he told them that just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the huge fish— so the Son of Man would be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Well, that is where Hades is. It's always described in the heart of the earth. And so paradise before the cross was the comfort side of Hades. But they, but Jesus didn't leave those people there. He's now paid for all of their sins too. He set the captives free. He brings them up into heaven. And so now after the cross, paradise is in heaven. So Paul says, I know a man who was caught up to the third heaven, the paradise of God. So now when a believer dies, they are immediately in paradise in heaven. Hmm, awesome. I'm having fun. I hope you are too. After a short break, we'll be back with lots more guy talk. So let me know what your questions are. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. 
84. We'll be right back. to the show. Thank you for tuning in today. We're enjoying Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. So we have uh, time for your question. Let me know what it is. 877-933-2484. We uh, opened up a can of worms for that driving <laughs> topic. <laughs> still coming Just in. Just so you know. Yeah, they're still coming in. Wow. I yeah. love it. Yeah. And um, Martha said, if by any chance your car has anything that identifies you as a Christ follower, know that your actions are being watched. Which is a true good, good reminder. Good word. Yeah. So bumper stickers or anything else like that. I I, um, I wrote a bumper sticker. I made one up for race car drivers. I just it's just just the one, and it says, uh, "If you can read this, you're losing." <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, unless you're a lap behind. I it guess. fits. Yeah, you got to be a big lap behind. Yeah. All right. Here's a question that came in. Uh, what about um, people who say I believe, but repeatedly lie on purpose? Um, what what about those people? Are they going to enter heaven without God dealing with that person? Well, the Lord's going to deal with them. I mean, they're not going to get away with this. None of us get away with anything. Uh, but I think what we're dealing with here is that I would have to. I would want to ask them this person: Why is it you're claiming Jesus on the one hand, and then what's coming out of your mouth doesn't represent Him at all? And I think most of us don't talk to people that way, and so people get away with this kind of stuff. I know even in churches, in churches you have people that are gossips, you have people that are say horrible things, and nobody seems to want to deal with it. And my attitude is we better deal with it because they're not going to always say it in my presence as a pastor, but they'll say it in the presence of visitors and mm-hmm. others. So, yes, I think the Lord will deal with it, and I think we have to deal with it too, and it's wrong, and it should not be done. You know, Scripture says that God is a God of truth and that there's no lie in him. And he says that Satan is a liar, a liar from the beginning. When he speaks, he lies. It's his native tongue. There's no truth in him. So if if you want to be a, a follower of the Lord's, then what side of that do you want to fall on? Do you want to be on the one who presents the truth and speaks truth and, and, and truth comes out of your mouth? Or do you want to be someone that is constantly shading or, or lying, little white lies, lies of omissions, whatever? I don't think it's ever right uh, to, to lie. I mean, this gets to the situational ethics and stuff. God is a God of truth. Jesus never spoke a lie, ever. <clears throat> There's a great uh, picture online. Maybe you guys have seen it. It shows North Korea at night and South Korea. Mm-hmm. South Korea is all lit up. North Korea is virtually mm-hmm. dark. And when we claim Jesus into our life, we have a choice whether we're going to be the north and be very dark with our behavior. So it doesn't reflect Jesus. Or we're going to let his light shine through like in, you see in that map in South Korea. And that's the choice we make every single day. It's not just, oh, I hope I don't do that again. Every day we make the choice. And when we do lie, because we're all capable of doing that, here's the first thing you got to do. You can say, Jeff, I sinned against you and against the Lord Jesus. When I said this, it was wrong. Forgive me. And I hope you will, you know, work with me on this anyway. 
Now, I just remembered the second part of that question, are they going to go to heaven? Remember, we, we, we are received into heaven through faith. Now, once we have faith and we're born again and saved, God wants us to act a certain way. He of has course. a call on our life. And when we fall short, that doesn't mean we lose that salvation. So just remember, we don't we don't we can't lie our way out of the kingdom of heaven because we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Period. Mm-hmm. We've received the spirit of truth, however, so we should be truth speakers. Well, we fail yeah. to represent Jesus as we should when we don't speak the truth. But yeah, we're talking two different topics here. If I was going to read between the lines of this text, I would say the person who sent this in has got some hurt because they're probably in a relationship with someone who claims to be a believer yet are lying continuously. Agreed. And and God bless you, and I pray that God will bring healing to that relationship. Agreed. And that's where I would just jump in. I appreciate you saying that, Bill, because I'm guessing that that is the case too, right? And Mm -hmm. so I think... While we we can't ever compromise the truth, I think that at least at first, if people are in that kind of situation, um, you you come to them pastorally, confrontationally, but pastorally, yeah. and and try to work through with them to to help them understand maybe the impact of their actions and, and all of that. But I think in terms of I know Parish how much you've been loving my my ethics um, scenarios today. So in terms <laughs> of should, we, should, should we never lie? I mean, two of them could be should we never throw a pump fake in football would be one, and then the other one would be. Uh, if you're crossing the border with Bibles as a missionary into a, an atheistic country, should you hide those Bibles from the border guards or should you put them in the trunk and just let them all to see and trust God for the the result of that? So, the, there, so there you go, Parrish. I'm giving you another one besides the red light. Well, I've actually <laughs> helped uh, smuggle in uh, satellite telephones into countries that uh, forbid Christianity. So I'm guilty, uh, but I still felt it was for a higher call and a higher good. And I don't believe everything the government said is always right. We have to be able to stand up to it, and uh, I just have lived that way, and I believe in that. All right, here's a question. The last few days, Russia, Iran, Turkey, China got together. Do you see it as a possible Ezekiel 38 coalition formation that will eventually come against Israel? Yeah, so there's this war of Gog and Magog in Ezekiel 38 that is described, and um, Actually, in the in kind of the prophecy world, it's kind of divided. The one side says that this Ezekiel 38 war is going to happen prior to the tribulation that is to come. And there are others who say this Ezekiel 38 war actually happens at the end of the tribulation that is to come. And it's just one more description of many of this multi-nation battle that uh, happens at the end of the tribulation called Armageddon. Uh, in which Jesus comes down and treads the winepress of the wrath of God and destroys all these armies. Um, I actually personally believe it's the latter. I think Ezekiel 38 is just one more description of the final battle that is to come. But look, you, you have to be kind of blind to the prophecies of the end times to can't to, not to recognize that there are many ways things are being set uh, for the end to come. Uh, but I think they've been being set in a lot of ways for 2,000 years. And I think sure. God has wanted every Christian in every generation to believe that this could be the generation in which Christ returns for his bride. Of course. Um, so that's how I want to live. I, I teach the end times quite a bit. And one thing I will never do is try to set a date for when this end times will come. I just don't do it. I don't think it's biblical. He says it's coming soon and soon in the Greek can mean suddenly. suddenly. I think Jesus is going to come back suddenly without warning. 
I'm sorry, Jeff and I are talking together here, and we say the same thing, so forgive me. I'll try to keep my mouth shut. But, you know, here's the thing on on the, the end times, and I'm a strong believer in the end times, and I look for Jesus' return. For me, what I've learned over this, because I was back in the, the 70s uh, with Lake Greek Planet Earth, I was in the 80s with Jesus is going to return in 88 and all of that, and I've seen so many people get disappointed. Here's what I say. Take it seriously. Yes, Jesus is going to return, but what that tells me, it's a reminder, i got to amp up my disciple-making because that's what I'm going to be held accountable to. I'm not going to stand at the pearly gates and say, did you have the hour of the day figured out? No, I'm going to be asked, who'd you bring with you? And ultimately, hmm. that's what we should be focusing on. And uh, I think every end-time conference uh, and that's out there, and, and I say, go ahead and do those. But make sure you put the emphasis on making disciples in the time that we have, because we don't know how much time that is. If we've got a week, let's make 100 more disciples. You know, I love to teach on the end times because I love for Christians to live with the end in mind. Absolutely. But we study the end, the time when we won't need faith by the way, faith will become sight, but we study that time when we will no longer need faith to grow our faith right now, just yep. as you were talking about. Yep. All right, here's a question about Matthew 11, verses 11 through 14. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there have not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence and violent people have been raiding it for all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. And the question is on verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence and violent people have been raiding it. That's what the head scratcher is. Well, I don't think it's that confusing of a verse in its context. If you understand that there were, before Jesus came, there were many people who called themselves the Messiah that came to Israel and said, i am got the word of the Lord. There were many false prophets. There were, you take the Pharisees and Sadducees who created a law system out of the relationship with Yahweh with 613 laws rather than building the relationship and the sacrifice of the temple being part of that relationship of shed blood. So... Jesus is very accurate. There have been many, many coming along throughout the entire history of Israel and throughout the world, literally, that are that are trying to set up the kingdom of God, but violently through their own predictions, their own desires, and their own wants. And Jesus says, hey, you know, John the Baptist came and finally pointed to the right one, and I'm that right one. Yeah, I think the Elijah reference, if I can focus on that maybe— is in the in the last book of the Old Testament, in the last I think it's the last chapter. Jesus, uh, God actually tells us that He will send us Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And so the Jews have this expectation from the Old Testament that Elijah was coming. So some thought that John the Baptist was Elijah. Some thought that Jesus was Elijah. And I think that reference in in Malachi is actually to the Elijah who is to come in the end times. I actually think that Elijah is going to be one of the two witnesses that will uh, uh, preach the gospel to the world after the rapture of the church. So I think that's what that reference is. But I think here people thought that he was. And in fact, it says that he was uh, the Elijah to come. I think that he is the Elijah in type. I don't think it's the actual Elijah because elsewhere, I think it's in Luke, people asked John the Baptist specifically, are you Elijah? And I don't have that this reference in front of me. I'll find it. 
But he clearly says, no, I am not Elijah. So I think when it says that he's come, he has come in the spirit and the power of Elijah, I think is the Luke reference. Well, in verse 14, and if you're willing to accept it, you know, he is Elijah. And I was just looking at the original language there, and basically what that's saying, what Jesus is saying is that he is, that John the Baptist is really the prototype, or Elijah's the prototype, John the Baptist is coming literally with his message in this setting. And Jesus isn't saying definitively that John the Baptist is Elijah. He's saying, if you're willing to accept it, this prophecy is fulfilled. I think it's Luke 1, uh, 17. Is that what I was just quoting from? Mm -hmm. All right, here's a question. I have a Seventh-day Adventist friend, and their belief is that the dead rest in the grave, for they know nothing, and the breath of life goes back to Christ who gave it. The dead will be resurrected as they receive the breath of life back when Christ returns, and all believers will meet him in the sky and then go to heaven. Please comment. Mm. Well, I think... I, I can, okay, go ahead, Peter. No, I, I mean, all I can speak to is I know what the early church believed about um, what happened after people died. And I know we get that question a lot in terms of what does paradise mean and to be pre- you know, absent from this body is to be present from to, to the Lord. But I think we also have to be... Um, at least cautious to say what it means to be present to the Lord, because the um, the early church would have believed uh, that when you die, you're, you, you sort of are in an in-between space for a period of time waiting for the fullness of the resurrection from the dead. Now, I'm not saying that's right. I'm just telling you what the early church believed about it, um, in that you are, you're in God's presence or you're in God's absence in that time awaiting the final judgment. And, and I think there is some biblical support per, for that mm-hmm. view. I think we have to be a little bit careful to not just assume um, that something like that might not be the case. And so all I'm saying is I'm reflecting the early church view, but then views have definitely evolved and modified since that time. So I think, you know, Paul says at, at one point in Philippians, I think chapter one, he says, it is better for me to depart and be with the Lord by far. I think he's saying that it's better for me to die actually and be with the Lord. And we know that the Lord is seated next to God at his right hand in the heavenlies. And, uh, and, and, so, and then the other passage, which you also quoted, absent from the body at home with the Lord. Um, yeah, I, I think that when a believer dies after the cross, their soul, their spirit, the immaterial part of who they are is with the Lord. They're ushered into his presence uh, in the heavenlies. So, I mean, I think that's, you know, that's what Paul seemed to be saying in both of those passages. So. All right, we'll take a short break. and we come back, we still have time for your awesome questions. Just send them over via text, 877-933-2484, and your awesome question will get asked to the awesome panel. That's how that works here on Guy Talk, or Guys Who Talk. The power panel is Jeff Verdorn, Tom Parrish, and Dr. Peter Capstern. Be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com.
Welcome back to the show. You're listening to Guy Talk. And we just had a little episode right here in the studio. We call it a technical difficulty where two of us could have lost their hearing. <laughs> but we're fine. So, all right. Uh, thank you for your questions. They're still coming in. I appreciate it. Um, let's see. Who were the other people Cain was afraid would kill him after he was judged by God? It should have just been Adam, Eve, and him. God put the mark on him that he could not be killed. Who were these other people? Yeah, I think we can assume safely, even though they're not specifically mentioned early on, that there were other people that would have been descendants of Adam and Eve. They were the only people on the earth. There would have been other descendants. So the fact that they're not specifically mentioned doesn't mean that they don't exist. And so their children would have had their children and Mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. So not all of them are are listed. In fact, the ones that are listed generally relate to how uh, the, the line that ends up being the line of Christ. So once you get to the genealogies and Matthew and in Luke, you can actually tra- trace those back. One goes back to Abraham. One goes back to all the way to Adam. Uh, I believe it's the Luke one that goes all the way back to Adam. And you'll see some of those names that are listed in Genesis. But, of course, there was other people that weren't listed. Yeah, it says here in Genesis 5, 4, the days of uh, Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. So there, in a, you take an 800-year period with sons and daughters like that, uh, there's going to be lots of people eventually. And so a lot of them would not even known who Cain was at that point. Hmm. I've read some estimates that people think that there might have been as many as 3 billion people on the earth at the time of the flood. What? Wow. Yeah, really? I've read that, yeah. Hmm. That's a lot of people. All right, here's a passage from Psalm, chapter 86, verse 11, that it says, Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Have you prayed that prayer? Lord, give me an undivided heart. I don't know if I prayed exactly that prayer, but I've been... Why not? Pr- well, I, <laughs> probably because when I read it, I didn't think about praying at the time. But I can tell you that for 40 years of my life, I've been pushed in that direction, of course. I believe by the Holy Spirit, that I would, that my goal, and I talk about it this way, my goal is to pursue Jesus and to become just like him. I want his thoughts. I want his speech. I want his behavior to be me or me him in that sense. So... I think it's the same thing. Uh, I want that. Do I always do it? No. But that is my goal, and that's where I'm always striving to go. You know, I think we all conform some way to the patterns of this world. I think we all have a a divided heart to a certain extent. I think every Christian has cares or things that they are interested in in this world. At the same time, love the Lord. And I, I think the message there in the undivided heart is God wants all of our heart. I know we fall short of that every day. I think the only person who walked by perfect faith on this earth is Jesus Christ himself, who is God in the flesh. The rest of us are in some way, shape, or form going to fall a little short every single day. Um, So that means that each one of us has some room to grow Mm -hmm. and to pray that prayer, Lord, give me an undivided heart. I love the lyrics of that Come Thou Font uh, song where it says, Though I prone to wander, leave the one I love. But he says, take my heart and seal it for that day, right? So that is that should be every Christian's prayer. Give me an undivided heart. Lord, take my heart and seal it. Yeah, I think um, at the risk of sounding uh, overly holy, which would be a terrible mistake to, to assume <laughs> that about myself, um, I, I will say this, that that probably has been the prayer of my heart for a, a very long time in my life. Now, I've gone through seasons where I would have prayed it daily, but I think that just evidence of what you just said, Jeff, is that 
prone to wander, you know, how, how easy that happens. I mean, we are sheep. We we hardly even know when we're, we're, we're straying off the path. And um, what I know for sure is that uh, if I'm not praying that daily or entering into it, it doesn't take long for my heart to get really stirred up and I start feeling anxious and confused. I'm not terribly nice to be around. Like all of those things become signals again and say, oh, man, here here I am again. And and I think this doesn't mean that you are just like thinking about God all day long, but it does mean that you're doing your day with God in in a in in both conscious and mm-hmm. unconscious kinds of ways, and and trying to see the situations around you through the lens of the kingdom, but asking God to to give you that kind of wisdom. So, yeah, I, I'm definitely frail enough that I have needed long seasons of that prayer. It's actually a lifetime prayer. I think it needs to be for all of us. Can it's I- good that it's a, it's good that it's a goal. In a, in a good sense, because we need the target in order to know what we're trying to do. I mean, I've done a lot of weddings. Have you ever been to a wedding where the, you know, the, they repeat the vows and the husband says, I'm going to be faithful to you 87% of the time? <laughs> no, we have an expectation it's going to be 100% of the time. The Lord has the expectation that that should be our driving goal. And so, yes, we sin. Yes, we fall short. He knows that. I'm not going to deny that. But we can't make that our excuse for not doing it. The goal we have is to really know him and to serve him and to have that undivided heart, and that's where the battle comes in. And, you know, you made me think of something. Unless you think you can do that in your power, uh, there's a line from a, a, an author that I just love. He says, living the Christian life isn't hard. It's impossible. Only Christ yes. can do it. Mm-hmm. So the way you're going to get closer to this is stop trying in yourself. Yep. Die to self, let Christ live in and through you. He is the vine, you're just the branch, let him bear the fruit. Yeah, and I think just a quick caution, if you want to pray that prayer, and Jeff, you said it so well, that that God is going to do that work in you, that is a dangerous prayer to pray, I think. I don't know Mm -hmm. if you guys have experienced that, but but the the Holy Spirit in the biblical text sometimes, sometimes has imagery of that of fire, or the refiner's fire is some of the language of the biblical text, and Fire, man, when it burns stuff out of your heart, the chaff of your heart or the uselessness that that can go on in all of our hearts, that isn't fun. Uh, it, it's actually painful. And I think of times where I've, I've prayed that prayer not from a place of sort of brave heart. I can, I will, you know, I want an undivided heart, <laughs> a, a place of a tremendous fear, but still desiring to want to have that heart. And then, you know, when that fire starts coming and it hurts that's where you have to simultaneously believe that God really is a good shepherd. He really is a physician. He really knows what he's doing. When, when you put yourself in his hands to be the surgeon to, to then undivide that heart. Jeff, can I add Peter one comment to that? In my early years of following Jesus, I prayed what I consider one of the best prayers I ever prayed and one of the stupidest prayers. And they were the same (laughs) prayer because I told Jesus, I said, Lord Jesus, do whatever you need to do with me to make me just like you in this world. And you know what? He took me serious. So <laughs> I, face, luck, I right? face pain. I face suffering. I, pay, I face disappointment. And, and it's been a, quite a journey. But in every one of those, he was there. In every one of those, he was drawing me to himself. And I truly appreciate that. But I had no idea what I was praying. You know, and I think a lot of Christians are afraid to pray that prayer. You know, Lord, anything you want, you know, kind of thing. Because they're afraid that they're going to end up in Africa or something. Mm-hmm. They don't want to go to Africa, yeah. you know, then yeah. they, they get scared of what God might call them to do. Are you going to trust him or not? Right. He knows what is best for you. And if you decide to say anything, anywhere, anytime, he will use you. But you know what? It's not going to be a burden because he'll give you the grace and mm-hmm. the will and the desire to do it. 
Here's the follow-up question. In Matthew 16, 24 to 26, Jesus tells his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That imagery of taking up the cross, that seems like it's this ginormous burden, but this is not what Jesus means by this. He's talking about dying to yourself because Mm -hmm. it is so easy when I have Jesus in my life to now say, hey, I should be able to have everything in the world. No, 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 no. When I know Jesus... I've got to die to what I want and submit to what he wants. And that even means loving my enemies, which is not something I normally do. But with Jesus, I know that's possible. So, yeah, it's not a burden we have to carry. It's who we become if we're following him. Yeah, I totally agree. That's a Galatians 2.20 kind of verse that you have been crucified with Christ. You are to die with self. Don't you know, Paul says in, in, in Romans 6, that you have been crucified with Christ. Your old self has been crucified to that, to the world, to sin, and everything. But we have a tendency, oh, Lord, do we have a tendency to wander back to that every once in a while. We're prone to wander All right, fastest hour on radio, I say. Nice comment from Martha in Manchester, Connecticut. She said, I love Guy Talk, and love is all uppercase. That's wonderful. Thank you. I'll let her have the final word today, Guy Talk. It's kind. It is kind. Good word. Thank you. Thank you. Gentlemen, thank you. Um, I can't remember what I got next hour. Um, Oh, wait, Vince Miller. (laughs) He's sitting right next to me right now. (laughs) You frightened me, Vince. I didn't see you there for a minute. Okay. We're going to take a break. When we come back, my friend Vince Miller is going to uh, talk about all kinds of things, maybe even the book of Job, which we talked about last time but didn't talk a lot about it because we never never got around to it. But that was half the fun of having him on the show. Thank you very much, gentlemen. As always, great to be with you. Good to be with you. All right. We'll take a short break and be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.